Hi, this is Megan, and you're listening to Western Reaches number two. This is uh, put on thanks to Tashi Station. We're here to talk to you about all the geeky things in our lives. I'm here with my co-host, Saf. Hello. And so we had our first episode last week. Um, we're I'm trying not to have this just be a Star Wars and Halo podcast. It's supposed to be Star Wars and miscellaneous but our main topic (laughs) this week is also going to be halo because um there was a new halo graphic novel announced last week so we thought we have to talk about that and there's some star wars connection in there too so um settle down for that and first though we're going to go over what are sort of the geeky things that we've been doing this week and here i am stealing stealing brian's phrases because i've heard him say it so many times on tashi station (laughs) but it's it's true (laughs) it's what the geeky things that we're doing this week so um what we're gonna normally do is we'll go over what we're reading what we're playing and what we've been uh looking at and listening to and everything in terms of star wars so I'm reading a million books right now, but I wanted to talk to you about a couple of them. Um, we, Saf, did you have anything you want to say about books first? We're going to talk a little bit about YA stuff later on. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? I have. I am not reading anything but YA at the moment, so not really. <laughs> okay, so my segue can remain intact. <laughs> You're good. All right. <laughs> um... So I'm, I finished a novel called Children of God, which I talked about in the last, the last episode a little bit as well by Mary Doria Russell, which was amazing. Um, it's this uh, science fiction sort of first contact novel, and I hope the series would end up in a really satisfying way. It dealt with really big things. Basically, it's the book of Job with science fiction in it and that's very difficult to wrap up and it's like very difficult not to make it preachy and I think this book sort of your mileage may vary on what is preachy or not um but I thought it was very well done so highly recommend Mary Doria Russell if you've not read her and I realize just as I say this that I sort of have an accidental like christianity type theme going on here because the other thing (laughs) (laughs) i i did not plan this because the other thing that i want to talk about is a book called skyborn by david dalgish which is what i would call angel punk like it's a ya novel but instead of being any kind of magical creature they're basically angels um and i picked it up because i thought the cover looked cool it has this guy with big metal wings and i thought it would be quick um I'm picky with sort of the use of religion and the use of culture in books, but then this tread this weird line where it was very obviously um, inspired not so much by, like, Christian mythos, because they're, they're not angels, and there's a, they're people with wings, and there's a very unsubtle sort of... Um, these priest characters who are generally framed as the bad guys... But it's also very much inspired by, like, video games that were inspired by mythology. So it's sort of two things removed. He said, the author says in the back of the book that he was inspired by video games. So it's this this odd sort of tapestry of influences. Um, and it was fun. It was, uh, it was quick. Um, the, there were some plot lines that were sort of, thin but I liked the world and I liked that it um oh gosh see now I've lost my my train (laughs) um I liked that it used angels without being heavy-handed oh that's what I was gonna say there's a character called Saul and I'm like if you read like if you know the biblical Saul you kind of know where this is going and to my knowledge that's the one character that had any kind of parallel to to like the older stories and that was strange but it was an enjoyable book if you like people flying around and having sword fights in midair it was enjoyable Um, i like the idea of something being like influenced by something that was influenced by something like the video games being influenced by mythology being the main influence for this or one of the influences for this it seems really cool like i love anything that's inspired by video games basically but like having the distance like the one part distance removed from the main inspiration like gives it a different twist 
It did, and I wish I had in front of me the the book. I, I sent it back, but it was, um, I don't remember which game he was inspired by. I want to say it was Final Fantasy. It was something like that. So it was like he was looking at it not only through the lens of of mythology, but the lens of like this is how maybe the Japanese looked at uh, Western mythology, and I don't know if if that all trickled through to the book, but I think you can tell in the book. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so part of what I wanted to talk about with this is that it's it's not young adult, but everything about it, like it's not marketed as young adult, but everything about it says young adult. It's about two young, like teenage uh, siblings, which is also a kind of cool thing. The main relationship, while there are romantic relationships in it, the main relationship is between siblings. Um, they, uh, they go to this academy for these seraphs, which are, you know, the, the, the flying warriors and it's sort of about them learning to learning about the corruption in the system and it's very much what I would say is is YA but it was not marketed as such and there were some content things which there sort of often are where I was like is this too violent for YA is that even the the difference we should be talking about I'm, I'm not sure and yeah that one's that's a hard one really do you think, see, it's such a huge conversation. We could talk forever about is there a, a certain limit for violence and things. And I don't think that's necessarily the conversation we're going to have, although I guess we could. <laughs> um, <laughs> the interesting thing I thought about this was that around the same time I was reading this, I read an interview with Marcus Zusak, who's the author of The Book Thief and several other novels he was interviewed by entertainment weekly this week because um actually i don't think it was this week it was march 6th it was after our last episode i think disregard the dates it was about how he uh it's the 10th anniversary of the book thief and he talked about the only reason that book was marketed as a young adult was because he was in a contract for two books for two young adult books and that was the next book he was writing so that's what it became and i thought that was a really interesting sort of the way the business aspect determines what it's marketed as and it could be something completely irrelevant to the content of the book yeah i agree with that because a lot of young adult books are just as good as adult books if not better it's just they generally have a younger protagonist basically is the thing um, and sometimes, I mean, there are ones, like, Patrick Ness writes young adult books that are obviously aimed at young adults because they've got the very specific challenges and coming-of-age stuff that suits that, that age period. And so when you're reading them, they really st- stand out to you because they capture how it feels so well. But they're also really enjoyable if you're an adult reading the books. They're just very clearly not adult books, I guess. But then there are other young adult books you read, and, like, there's no difference, really. Like, they, they could easily have been an adult book if you'd just given them a different cover. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's hard for me now to picture The Book Thief as marketed as an adult book. But it's it's got a young protagonist, but it's about the Holocaust. It's, like, thematically, it could... It deals with very difficult subjects in a way that I think is appropriate to either audience. Yeah, and the idea that, like, a younger protagonist means that it's aimed at a younger audience or isn't something that an older person could consume like star wars is young protagonists basically like mm-hmm. i mean the the That's prequel good. trilogy kind of differs, differs on that a little bit because of obi-wan but like the original trilogy and also the sequel trilogy now um both have young protagonists like ray and luke are both quite young they're both teenagers and that those movies are for everyone to enjoy like nobody looks at them and goes oh they're only for younger people like with the hunger games because everyone knew it was a hu- hunger book a young adult book it kind of got pushed more towards younger audiences which ended up with a lot of children being expected to like it which is not where that should have gone and people seemed surprised that adults enjoyed the movies even though you know the the themes and the content were for mature audiences really like mature young adults but also adults could definitely enjoy what the stories were telling so it sounds like you have a lot to think to say about the Hunger Games right now. <laughs> I always have a lot to say about the Hunger Games. Uh-huh. Um, I've been rereading the first book recently because I got given a couple copies of the series for Christmas. And so I have one copy of them, which I'm using to annotate my thoughts of while I'm rereading them because I really want to do that. And it just seems like fun. 
And so I've been doing that. And I also got out two books from the library yesterday when I said I wasn't going to get any more books out called, um, hang on. I got The Hunger Games and Philosophy, which I haven't started yet. And I've also got of Bread, Blood and The Hunger Games, which is a collection of critical essays about The Hunger Games on a bunch of different topics. So it's like politics and um, gender and stuff like that. And I have only started the first essay in the book, which let me check what it was because I can't remember anymore. Oh, God. Okay, it's called Panem in America. So it's part of the history, politics, economics, and culture. And so it's it's really interesting mix of essays in the book and a bunch of different things that are covered, which I'm super interested in, and I'm really excited to read more of the essays. And the whole intro thing kind of points out a lot, like the connections between The Hunger Games and, the, and real life, because you've got the whole glamour of the of the game shows and all that mixed in with you know all the war footage and terrorism stuff that we get on tv like the that's what inspired suzanne collins originally was watching tv and seeing the war footage mixed in with you know yeah um i forgot what they're called already reality shows and advertising and models and stuff like that and all of that kind of mashed together into this weird mix of tv that seemed to somehow glorify war without really meaning to and so that's where she got the inspiration for that. And so it kind of talks about that a bit in the intro and about how Katniss is such an interesting protagonist because she isn't, she doesn't want to be protagonist. She just kind of ends up there because she's so angry. She ends up doing all of her rebellious things just out of spite and anger, basically. Like she's, she's not the kind of person who genuinely wants to do good a lot of the time. She just ends up doing it by accident, um, which is an interesting character. And so a lot of The Hunger Games does tackle more extreme topics than like a children's book would because it is a young adult book and young adult books do go for more mature themes because teenagers and adults they're not children they have aged past that and to expect them to read children's books like they can enjoy them but they won't hit the same kind of emotional uh capacity i guess as an older more mature book but then also adult books just become really boring because a lot of them are about like divorced people trying to live their lives or something and you know a teenager can't enjoy that because they don't identify with that at all and it might be a good book it may be a really well written book but a kid's not going to be like oh yes i understand what this older woman is uh, is going through today like they're not going to and so you get things like the hunger games which are dystopian and science fiction and very grim because you know it's about children killing each other in tournaments but they still manage to tackle, like, growing up, because Katniss is still, she's 16 in the first book, and so she's definitely aging up, and she's dealing with responsibilities that people treat her as a child, but she's still, t- she's becoming an adult. She is a young adult, and so she's got to deal with the responsibilities of that while also being looked down upon by a lot of people because of her age. Um, has got relationship stuff, like, is like it's not as strong. It's not a main theme within it, but, you know, there's the stuff with Peter and Gail and her trying to figure out her feelings for the different people, and also, not even romantic stuff, there's platonic things like like with the other Victor Finnick. Her and Finnick kind of build up a friendship as well throughout the series. And then she's also got her family problems, which is, you know, her little sister. And also her mother, who who is depressed. Her mother went through depression and is still kind of bordering on it a little bit. And Katniss is just like, for anybody who's had a parent who's been through that, it's very honest how it's portrayed in the books about how angry Katniss is about it. And the fact that her mother treats it as an illness as well. She says that she was ill and she said that medication can help her, which I think is really good to have because it's still kind of a taboo subject in real life now, but they're still, they're very open about it in the book, which I really like, even if it's kind of glossed over a bit because her mother doesn't even have a first name. Like they don't, they don't name <laughs> her properly. She just miss everything. Yeah. I thought um, I'm not, I don't remember her character very well. Yeah, she's not very big. She's just kind of there as a background character. And also to... I don't know. She kind of shows Katniss in a way. When Katniss starts becoming depressed in the second book and third book, um, she kind of looks more on her mother with more understanding because she realizes what she's been through as well. So she kind of gives her a bit of knowledge, I guess, in that and a bit of experience in knowing what can happen there. And that it is something that happens to more than one person. Like, she's seen it happen to somebody else that she knows very well. And so I guess it it kind of gives her a bit more strength, potentially, that it's happened to somebody else. And she's not alone. I can see why the portrayal of that is so important. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that Katniss herself becomes depressed and has post-traumatic distress. Nope. 
post-traumatic stress disorder within the book. She's And she's very anxious. She's got real-life mental illnesses, and she deals with very real things. And those things are so important for younger adults and teenagers to read about and to see other characters of their age and of their gender um, have those things within the literature they enjoy and also within the movies they like as well. Because if they can't see it in characters that they themselves can see themselves in, then they're not as likely to understand that it could happen to them too. And they don't understand how to talk about it about themselves either. So it is really important to have these kinds of characters and these kinds of issues in books for younger people, which other, like, a lot of adults don't seem to understand. They say that it's too dark or that's too grim. But it's important to know. And it's it's unrealistic. It is very unrealistic because they have, you know, like, airships and that kind of stuff. And But it's still very realistic. One thing I always liked about The Hunger Games is how it refuses to glorify its own world. And I think that's also what sort of, uh, made it difficult for me to get into the Hunger Games at first because I personally and I think the publishing like community in general if I can sort of be so bold to say that those two things happened at the same time we're moving from a type of fantasy where the worlds that are portrayed are something that you're supposed to want to go to like Hogwarts is the perfect example Harry Potter is all about Hogwarts is home it's where you want to be And then there are other books where the whole point is that the world of the book is not somewhere you want to be. And The Hunger Games did such a good job of never really glorifying its own world. And I think some books have a problem with that. And that's actually something that I realize now is happened in that book Skyborn, which is that at the same time as the lesson of the book, and this is... uh, I wouldn't say, I, I don't think it's a spoiler, spoiler warning. It's, there's conflicting opinions <laughs> within the book about whether this priest cast is a good thing or not. And you get the sense from very early on that, you know, some major characters do not think that this priest cast is a good idea. Um, they're supposed to be the, the villains, basically. I haven't read, it's supposed to be a trilogy. I haven't read the whole thing. So maybe there's some twist somewhere. But they're set up as, you know, if this is your a typical series, they're going to be the sort of um, organization or establishment that our heroes are fighting against. And whereas at the same time, they are the reason for the, the fantasy world. The priests are the reason... People have mechanical wings and magic powers, and the wings and magic powers are what are selling the book. So there's this odd disconnect between, at the same time, like, I picked this book up because I thought, oh, this looks cool. Like, I want to read about people that are in this, like, this cast of angels. Um, But at the same time, I'm I'm not rooting for them per, per se. So it's a weird disconnect. I'm definitely fond of stuff that does that. Because, um, yeah, you know, The Hunger Games very much does. Like, as you said, yeah. it doesn't glorify the world. It's an awful world. And it's kind of, I think, teaching in a way, being like, don't do this. It's very much a surveillance society. Mm-hmm. And Hunger lot Games of, does. A lot of poorness. And, it does yeah. so well, like, being conscious of what it's doing. I don't think all books are that conscious. And actually, I have feelings about that when it comes to Halo as well. But that would take a while to discuss yeah i read um another young adult trilogy not too long ago called the chemical gun trilogy which basically it has the setup that they created a way to cure everybody of like genetic diseases while they were in the womb basically so all like the new generation is born perfect and they never get sick and they live super long and so everyone's like, yeah, humanity's been saved, kind of. And then the generation after that, or, yeah, the generation after that, all the males live until 25 and all the females live until 20, and they all just die after that. Like, they don't, they can't live longer than oh, that. Oh, wow. Which is a really weird premise, kind of. But I picked it up because it got actually suggested in the essays, Hunger Games essays book, as one of a trilogy that was kind of in a similar theme. And it's definitely got the thing that the world is not glamour glamorized. Like you don't want to live there because obviously you'll die really I like I would be dead now, basically if I live there. Um But it doesn't do it in quite a subtle way as the Hunger Games. Like the Hunger Games it kind of builds up that sense of dread about the world over the books. And once you get to the capital, 
and get to the Hunger Games. In the first book, like, you know it's not a good place. This one kind of dispels it out for you straight away. Like, it's in, I think, New York. It starts off in New York or possibly California, Florida. One of those places in America. Anyways, <laughs> on the coast um, of America. The main, one the of main the character, coasts. Yeah, but the main character is from New York. And she talks about how, like, everything's just become awful and polluted and so bad. And everyone's dying all the time. And I'm just like, oh, God, this isn't good. Like, this doesn't sound good. But it's not, yeah, it's not as subtle of a portrayal. So it doesn't kind of carry the same weight, I think. You just kind of know that it's bad. It's It's kind of like when you watch an apocalypse movie and it just starts off with establishing shots of, like, the Golden Gate Bridge just, like, covered in sand or whatever. It's kind of got that effect. Yeah, that's interesting. And I almost wonder whether my sort of unsettlement at these things, it's like, I don't necessarily think that the books are doing it wrong. I just feel kind of guilty because I'm like, but I wanted to be like, not, you know, certainly not in a world where people die in their 20s automatically. But I like, you know, uh, the the world of his dark materials or something like I want to live there. But then the whole thesis of the book is like, you really probably don't want to live there. Oh man. I love how his dark materials does that. Cause yeah, it starts off. It's such like a fantastical world and so amazing. And you really want to live there. And then by the end of the books, you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the best kind of like world twist. I guess, is when it goes from being so perfect and amazing and then you slowly get that sense of dread throughout the series that it's just not good. I don't know. See, it almost makes me feel gypped. It almost makes me feel like... <laughs> <laughs> like, But but the cover was so cool. Like, Don't make the cool cover guy the villain. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> All right. So anything else with books today? I can't think of anything. I think I ranted about the Hunger Games enough. <laughs> <laughs> so our next segment is what are we playing this week? And I realized that I need to play more games so that I can talk about those games on this podcast. So <laughs> this gives me incentive. Um, yep. I did not really play anything this week, but I have things to talk about. Um, there is a... There's Destiny news at last, which is that what they're calling the April update, which is not a full expansion, it's one strike, um, some new PvE challenges, uh, some new gear, is coming on April 12th, so I'm really excited for that, especially because the strike is called Blighted Chalice, which I think might have to do with my like favorite lore stuff in Destiny. Not necessarily, because Destiny just, like, uses capitalized words that sound like they're really significant, and maybe they're not. But if this is what I think it is, I'm really, I'm really excited for that. And then the other thing that, so I did this week, and this is, like, this weird humble brag, so I don't know how to introduce it. Um, instead of <laughs> instead of playing video games at home, I was at South by Southwest last weekend, and I was not there for the game expo, but I was there for the innovation festival, which meant that a lot of the companies on the trade floor were using uh, VR headsets. A lot of them were using either the, I think it was the gear or the Oculus, um, basically as ads. So, and I was interested in how VR was being used in gaming and in marketing because it's, I feel like it's not quite there yet with gaming, but I saw a lot of sort of still video, like basically you watch an image or there was one where the, the one that I put on because NASA's booth had it where you were the perspective of a Mars rover so you could look around Mars and it was really cool, but it was not revolutionary you know it was basically like this would have been a screen if we didn't have vr um i was looking for something a little more interactive so i wanted to and maybe that's because i wasn't at the games expo you know i could have seen more but i was not that's that's not what i was sent there to do um but i wanted <laughs> i wanted to ask saf do you as a developer or as sort of a, a being in the indie game space do you think vr is important in gaming do you think it's getting to where more and more people are going to start to use it? I definitely do, actually. It's giving a really cool tool for developers to use and to make more things that they possibly couldn't have otherwise. Um, at PAX last year, I visited the Arcade, which is a co-working space in Melbourne. It's gorgeous. I want to work there so bad. But 
I went there on the media open day to check it out, and there was one VR game there at the time called The Music Room, which was still, like, way in development. It was, like, Alpha or something, like, before Alpha. I don't know. But it was basically, um, you stand in a room and you use the VR things to play music, and so, like, you have, like, a harp or a drum, and you can just, yeah, play music, which I'm awful at because I have no musical sense, so I was just kind of <laughs> there just hitting the harp, just making it make sounds. But it was really cool because it's like in a room. So you get like themed rooms. And the one I picked was the science fiction one, obviously, which is like this massive glass temple. And so if you look down, um, it was just a glass floor. And so you could see like way down. It was really cool. And also I discovered that if you take off your glasses to put on like a Rift headset or something, you're also short-sighted within the virtual reality, <laughs> which makes so much sense, but was just such a bizarre thing to discover. Um, and then- <laughs> That's so weird. I, I know. <laughs> they've um VR headsets tend to like slip over my nose, but they have been astonishingly um comfortable over my glasses, so I've never had to take my glasses off. Yeah, that was the first time I did that. I mean, it was the first time I played a VR game as well. But then I also had a chance to play a demo of Earthlight, which is a game made by Oh, I should know who it's made by. Um, sounds familiar. While you're looking it up, I can talk about how I vaguely have heard of Earthlight. <laughs> it's, um, okay, yeah, it's called Earthlight, and it's made by, oh god, I'm so close to it, I'm so close. Opaque, opaque, opaque multimedia. I can't believe I just said right. that word wrong. But yeah, it's Earthlight by Opaque Multimedia. And I had a chance to play it at PAX um, because I had a media badge so I could like sneak in. And I say that I made an appointment like three months earlier because I was really excited about it. But basically you're on the International Space Station. Is that what it's called? Hmm? Is that what it's called? The International Space Station? Yes. <laughs> it seems yep. wrong. Okay, good. No, nope, that is perfectly correct. <laughs> yeah. You're on there as an astronaut and you basically, in the demo, you go on a little spacewalk to go fix something or check something. I can't remember exactly what you do. But it's like 15 minutes long, I think. And it starts off with you in the airlock. And then you kind of go out and you climb around. And you've got to, like, use the controls. Like, you can use the little buttons on them to, like, grab and ungrab. And you kind of follow this line around. And it's really gorgeous because you can, like, look up. And you've kind of got this sense of weightlessness that you would have in space because of the way, like, the VR kind of looks, I guess. And, yeah, you can look around and just see space everywhere. And you can look down and see Earth. And there's also, like, a stereo i think floating around in the airlock that kind of gives you a sense of like noise traveling around you as well oh, and so the main character you play as is an australian woman which i thought was really cool which makes <laughs> sense because by an australian company but i didn't realize it would be a woman which i thought was really cool and i got really excited about that um and that so very cool at the end of the demo you're trying to like check this one thing that's not working properly and then you get hit by like a blast of air like, I think it just decompresses or something, and then you just lose, con like, you lose um, handle on the ship outside and get sent off in the space, basically. And I think you're tethered, so you you're fine, but it cuts <laughs> off before that. So basically, like, you go through the spacewalk, and then you end up in space, like, free from the station, and it's like, whoa, this is scary kind of thing. Yeah, that it's sounds really well done. very pretty and kind of terrifying. Yeah, and it's just so amazing being completely immersed within it because I love space. Like, I'm so excited about space, but I would never be an astronaut. Like, I don't have the skills for that. And so being able to play a game where I'm kind of an astronaut is really cool. And I got so excited about it. And then after I played it, I got so excited. I talked to one of the developers for like 20 minutes. Like, I wouldn't let him go because I was so excited. What and, kind um, of... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, what were you saying? Well, I was just going to ask you, what kind of peripherals did you have with that? Because I've... I've never done an interactive VR thing. I've only watched things. So it sounds like you had headphones and then how did you Yeah, you've got like it? a whole setup. So mm -hmm. yeah, you've got um, the VR headset over your eyes and then you've got headphones, like big headphones over your ears that block out sound so you can only hear the game. And then you've got two controls in your hands, which basically you move around and they pick up your hands. And then they've got a couple buttons on them, which you use to like, in this game at least, from what I've seen, is to grab hold of something and then let go. So you push the button and it grabs. Um, and so that's how you do the spacewalk is that you kind of like use the controls to pull yourself along, which works better than it sounds like it should, but it, it does work really well. And yeah, the game itself is just like, it's still, it's not like top notch graphics, like, you know, like Halo 4, 5 or something, but it still looks really good and it's still in development. So it's not out yet. I think it comes out mid this year, potentially. 
And basically, I just want to buy a VR headset just for this game. I know they're expensive, but I just really want this game. <laughs> uh, I know. I'm waiting. Like, I'll, I'm waiting for when the AAA games come out for it. I'm waiting for when it's a really common consumer thing, both because it tends to be the kind of games that I like. Not always, but, that, you know, put Halo on it. I will buy it. Um, and two, because I'm not a developer. I, I get cords crossed. Like, I want it to be easy, you know? <laughs> so I'm waiting. Yeah. But I'm excited for, for when I can have one. I remember, because I'm on one Facebook group um, for developers on Facebook, and somebody posted the showreel for, I think, PlayStation's, whatever it's called, I can't remember what it's called, like the Vive, whatever. Yeah. Um, um, and it's a lot of shooting games, <laughs> typically. And some, and they posted that complaining that it was just all like same-looking shooter games, like, what's the point? And a bunch of people replied saying that, the indie devs and the indie game companies are doing some really exciting and innovative stuff with VR. And so I'm really excited to see what the indie devs bring. I'm super excited for PAX this year because I'm betting there's going to be a lot of really cool VR stuff there. That's cool. You're going this year as well? Yeah. I I know that I'm totally in support of, of the indie games doing things and like I'm really excited to see the weird sort of artsy things people can do with this. But on the other hand, I am that consumer that will buy it when the <laughs> shooting game comes out. And so it's, <laughs> I see both sides of that. And I see that you, I, I wonder to what degree you have to have a large number of sales before you can start to support more and more of an indie community. But I know it doesn't always work that way. The two things yeah. are more parallel than, than that. I think at least because there's definitely you know an audience for the shooty games because they're very popular and I mean I love them too I love Halo I mean that's the only one I can list really but I do I do enjoy playing them a lot and so that's definitely a part of it is that it's a big part of what they sell their games or how they sell their games and also you're right because the more that AAA games sell on VR and the bigger that VR gets the more likely it is that indie games will be able to actually sell their games as well because people will trust VR as technology and also VR technology will become cheaper over time which means more people can afford the indie games too. Because at the moment, you know, a VR headset is not cheap unless you get one somehow else. Like, I don't know, you steal one from someone or something. I don't I don't condone that, but <laughs> that would make it cheaper. Um, <laughs> Western reaches but steal It is definitely Oculus. a very expensive no. technology. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so... it's expensive. So indies are less likely to have their games sold if, you know, it's a really expensive technology. But it'll get there. And so I think people are saying, like, they're really doubting it. They're like, oh, it's, it's virtual reality and it's never going to go anywhere this time because, you know, it kind of comes around every now and then. And it tries to take a hold, but the technology hasn't really been there. But I think this time there's a really good chance for it because, you know, all the big companies are doing Microsoft and PlayStation and there's the Oculus Rift as well, which has been around for ages. Just I've never used one before last year. Um, and I think that, over the next year, we'll definitely see it become more of a big thing. Yeah, and these things are older than even I think of them as sometimes. There there have been VR headsets for three and four years now. They're just not mainstream yet. And I think part of it, too, is because there isn't yet a, a great marketplace for them. And I might be wrong about that, but I, I mean, like, the App Store. Like, something where you can get a game that is works on multiple VR headsets and is very easily, very... Uh, clearly forward facing and now i say that though as someone who's not an owner so i could be wrong about that also well i mean you're like a general consumer kind of and so it's totally right that if it's not something like you totally notice then a lot of the mainstream audience wouldn't either and that's from i i listen to other like gaming podcasts and i'm part of me is is just hearing what what they say and what developers say like it's it just needs to be a little more forward-facing. Um, yeah, I, I would agree, I think. So you're playing something that is sort of the opposite of VR, the sort of <laughs> low resolution. So what what do you want to tell us about, about that? Yeah. So I just started playing Undertale um, today. No, not today. I started playing yesterday. And I'm not, I'm really not that far through it. I've just started. But it's I very, play it very low resolution. Yeah, I've heard so many good things about it, which is why I picked it up, I guess. Um, well, actually, somebody paid for me to have it because they really wanted me to play it, so they could talk to me about it. But from what I gather, it's got, like, non-binary characters in it, and 
like it looks very cute but it also seems very scary because like in the first five minutes you basically um you encounter this flower this weird looking happy flower you fall basically the main the thing is that you are a human and you've tripped and fallen into this cave into the underworld where all the monsters that used to live on the upper surface of the planet with the humans have been banished i think and so you fall down there and you encounter this like happy looking flower who's like, hey buddy, I'll help you out. Um, this is your health points. And then you get more health points by gaining love. Do you want some love? And so you're like, okay. And then so it like says, you get love by these white pellet things, love pellets or whatever. <laughs> and then like, you're like, cool. And so it shoots some at you and you go to grab them. And then like, they do heaps of damage to you. Basically it's trying to kill you. And it says, and the flower like changes into this like weird looking flower monster thing. And it's like, haha, it's kill or be killed down here. And I was just like, whoa, I did oh, not no. expect that. Death by like, love. <laughs> I was so heartbroken already. Uh. That is very typical of these kinds of games. Like the really cutesy looking low-res games that end up just being really creepy and dark underneath that it's a really common thing and i've played quite a few games like that i can't remember what any of them were called but every now and then i see one on tumblr and i kind of pick it up and play through it for a couple hours i'm like mm, i feel changed i've become a changed woman after that and i feel like undertale is gonna be a bit like that too <laughs> that's what i hear that people get really emotionally invested in it and i haven't played it i've definitely i'm definitely interested in it but the art style is not quite my thing and I'm almost afraid, like, I've seen so much about it on Tumblr and stuff. I'm almost afraid that it's not going to work for me in the way it seems to have worked for so many people. And I'm going to have missed out on this big emotional thing. So, I don't know. I have I have Undertale FOMO going on. Yeah, I kind of had similar worries about it because that happens with me sometimes. Is that I can be quite particular in my tastes sometimes. And so I'll play something that, you know, everyone else loves. And then I'm like... I don't get it. So I've been kind of watching, like, I've seen all the fan art and the fan fiction, fan fiction? All the fan community, basically, of Undertale, and they're really into it. And so I wanted to play it too, but I was, yeah, I look at the art and I'm like, will I like this? I don't know. But actually, speaking of low-res games, there is low-res jam, which is a game jam for basically low-res games. You make a low-res game um, in a week, I think. No, two weeks. It's from April 1st to April 18th. So it starts on April Fool's Day, I guess. But it is a real thing. And it looks pretty cool. So if you want to check that out, if you ever want to make a game, people listening to this, and you do low-res pixel art, um, check it out. It's itch.io slash jam slash low-res jam 2016. Cool. And is that um, international? Is it online? I think it's international. It could be based in Australia. But from, like, most game jams online are anywhere. You can do them wherever you want, as long as you stick within the time limits, basically. Okay. Cool, cool. All right, so I'm ready to move on to our Star Wars uh, talk, which will probably be brief for me. What do you think, Seth? I'm keen. I'm keen for some Star Wars. All right, good to go. Um, <laughs> so we had... <laughs> I I had two big star wars things this week one of which was the latest rebels episode which was the chopper centric episode um i thought it was okay i thought that a lot of people like if you like chopper if you were a person who liked chopper you liked it if you didn't you didn't and that's not necessarily true across the board but i found it to be true i don't know that might be totally off base but i didn't i wasn't a huge fan partially because it didn't really add anything to chopper for me I actually really love that episode. <laughs> well, see, no, but that's think, perfect. Yeah. Like, so tell me about that. Yeah, I'm not really that big of a Chopper fan. At least I wasn't really okay. before the episode. But see? I think I liked that it... Most other people that I've seen who liked the episode were big Chopper fans beforehand, so I might be an outlier there. <laughs> no, I'm glad that you disproved my theory, because my theory was very, like, black and white, and, like, it's good. Star Wars is never that black and white. I mean, sometimes it is. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it. I think it was because it was quite like a fun, lighthearted episode in most parts. But then you kind of got hints at other things, you know, like the Clone Wars and um, Chopper actually being a good person somewhere deep down, which I kind of liked. I mainly liked AP5, the new droid that like mm-hmm. sounds all like Snape. 
I, I liked him a lot. And it was weird because I thought his voice was really cool. And he actually reminded me of a little bit of a droid from an old machinima called A Clone Apart, which was filmed in the original Battlefront. Um, and that's not entirely relevant, except it was a droid with a deep voice. And I was like, that voice is really cool. And then people kept saying that it sounded like Snape. And I was like, guess it does. But I didn't think about that, and now I feel weird. <laughs> I didn't either. Like, I was listening to it the entire time. I was like, this voice sounds so familiar, but I can't place it. Like, why is it so familiar? And then um, on a podcast I was on, somebody mentioned, yeah, it sounded like Snape. And I was like, oh, that's that's what it is. That's why it was so familiar. <laughs> so it totally did not click with me until it was actually pointed out. Yeah, I had to yeah, have I really liked his out. design. Like, his, his visor, no, his eyes, basically were like reflective and I don't know I just keep looking at it because it's really the animation this season has gotten so good it's so much better than it was in the first season and just those eyes like how smooth and shiny and reflective they were just kind of embodied that to me if that makes sense it it did and that design was simple while still being interesting it was not quite identical to anything we've seen before but it was similar to what we've seen before and I thought that was done very well yeah, and it definitely fit in with the look of Rebels and Star Wars in general very well, I think. I have such a love-hate relationship with the space station they were on so briefly because I um, I love the design. It looked, it was super futuristic with all those panels coming out from around the center of these space stations. But then the sky was this super bright, like almost fake blue with little clouds and the shadows didn't look right to me, but I realized I, I was telling my roommate about this that I thought that scene looked fake. It looked to the space station and the sky. It didn't look like they were in the same place to me. And I said, the shadows should have had some kind of tint or something. And she goes, we have a blue sky and black shadows. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> and I realized that she was right. So I don't know what it was that didn't work for me about that space station, but something didn't work. I mean, that makes sense. I really liked it myself, but I'm really into that kind of um, aesthetic, I guess, in my science fiction. Like, the really bright sky and, like, the pretty light and colors. As soon as I see that stuff, I'm just like, yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. But it did kind of... I can kind of see what you mean a little bit. It did have something. It might also have been what. because I was immediately reminded of, of Halo, really, because it looks a little yeah. bit like the <laughs> Guardians. So I was immediately in, like, video game mode. Look, Like, okay, that's the skybox. This is the ground. And a lot of them is two separate things, so it's quite possible. It just, you know, works for some people and doesn't for others. Yeah, it kind of, it definitely gave me, like, a different feeling aesthetically like it i kind of put it to mass effect in my head a little bit huh yeah i don't i don't know it was mainly when i was looking at the concept art and i was like it's so bright and clean looking compared to you know star wars in general a lot of the time it was and maybe that was what sort of sort of set it set it apart for me a little bit too because it did look so clean yeah, it was really gorgeous, though. The, I'm just obsessed with the lighting. The, the animation team is just so good. <laughs> they they did really well with Chopper in this episode, I thought. You know, you could tell what he was saying all the time. We, his expression, his expressions, quote, like his gestures and things were done well. Yeah, definitely. So my other Star Wars experience this, this week was Kanan number 12, which I was sort of drifting away from the Kanan comic a little while, and then I heard there's a big cameo in this one, and I, want, I wanted to go back in to see what the cameo was. So have you read it? Yes, I have. I was very slow on catching up with Kanan because I fell out of all the Star Wars comics, basically. Um, but I, I, everyone was talking about the cameo, so I was like, I should probably read it because of that. And then somebody on Twitter retweeted a picture of the cameo and spoiled it for me, and I was like... Uh, guess I'll just go read it now because I love this person. So, yeah, I don't. I guess we'll we'll keep keep quiet on it for now, depending on when this comes out. But I that's really that's sad because I saw other people were spoiled too, and I managed to remain unspoiled. And I had a couple ideas about who it might be, but I was really happy with with what it turned out. And now I want to go like reread all the things that are connected to it too. <laughs> 
yeah, I'm just really excited about this character kind of branching out in more things. Like, I guess they're related to this comic in the way, you know, that they've been in a novel that's related to this. So it kind of fits, but I'm just loving it. I'm loving it so much. They're so cool. Yeah, I'm I'm just very happy with all of that. I could we could have more of that as well. <laughs> yeah, there was, I'm all for it, that. it was a brief cameo and I think that I um for me, my thought was always like it's the last episode, they're gonna pull in something big for the finale. This is what they pulled in. They only had one issue to do it, so it's gonna be quick. And I, I kind of forgave that. Some other people were saying that um the, the that encounter should have been given more time to breathe and I like I completely see where they're coming from with that but I just wasn't really thinking about it from that perspective I was thinking about it like it's gotta be within this one ep- this one issue which is not necessarily true I think it because Kaden ended up being so short like that they only got the 12 issues in the end and because yeah it was definitely a finale thing and because the last comic was totally like present time right like he didn't flashback in that one like he um, did in all the other ones in the last issue oh wait. yeah um yes that's true because there were some sort of connections to the to the past but it all took place in that one timeline yeah which felt kind of weird but i think um episode issue six did that as well possibly one I of the other know, issues did it i think at the sense. end of an arc or something um and so it, it did feel kind of rushed very rushed i did feel that as well but yeah you're right it had kind of had to happen there and giving more time within the issue would have taken away from everything else that was also happening because there was a lot happening at that point in time there was a um, lot like the the reveal that that we're talking about is not the only reveal in the issue yeah oh my god the other reveal so good too it's just <laughs> a, it's a good issue Kanan itself like as a it stands really strong as a comic series yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't have minded if they continued it. Yeah, I wish. I guess maybe it didn't get enough sales or something though. I guess. All right, so we are running a little long, but I think we can move into our our quote big topic. We need a like a name for these things. <laughs> our uh, we do <laughs> our star destroyer size topic at the end. Um, so we were. Excited to hear this week that John Jackson Miller, who we know from Star Wars, from A New Dawn and Kenobi and a variety of things, is going to be writing a Halo comic in an anthology called Tales from Slip Space, which is coming out in October. And this will be his first Halo um, excursion, which is super interesting because there's been a lot of crossover between Halo writers and Star Wars writers right now. Or at least I can think of two. I can think of John Jackson Miller and Troy Denning. And um, Karen, Karen Travis. Travis. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested in seeing where this goes. So we thought we would talk about Halo comics for a little while, just like sort of in general. And I think I'm going to cut our list down here because we don't have a ton of time. But so, Saf, how do you feel about this? I'm quite excited because John Jackson Miller is a really good comics writer, I found. He's just a good writer in general. I really like his stuff. Um, I loved knight errant i loved the novel more than i liked the comics but i did really like knight errant and so i'm keen to see what he's going to do for this because he's always kind of got interesting ideas and he's got a good narrative voice i think he does and And so assuming like seeing who they pair him with yeah yeah no i'm sorry about that we're uh, we're working on this Um, yeah i'm (laughs) Yeah, we're learning. I'm curious to see like who he'll get paired with art-wise and what it's going to look like because it it could be really awesome. The original Halo graphic novel, which this is sort of the spiritual successor to, had such a huge variety of art, everything from like sort of goofy, cartoony to really painterly stuff. So I don't know. He and John Jackson I really like the painterly stuff. Yeah. Yeah. John Jackson Miller does like every man characters really well i still zane carrick is still one of my favorite uh star wars characters from the comics and like kenobi was a lot about just the people that are living their lives on tatooine so i'm thinking what stories can can john jackson miller tell in halo that will be these very um 
not small scale necessarily, but maybe show a part of the universe for the average person that we haven't seen before. I would definitely like that. I love seeing other parts of the Halo universe a lot. Yeah, so what uh, what parts would you be most interested in seeing in this, this anthology? Or It's probably, the, I think, I, I tried to dig out my copy of the Halo graphic novel, and it's missing i don't know where it is but it was a lot it was a lot of stories it was 12 or 15 i think um what kind of stories would you like to see told in this that's a really good question i would like to see something about like defunct spartans potentially you know like osman or man that like i would love to see that kind of stuff because you see in um full of rage you can see like quite a few of them being wheeled off um, after the Spartans go through their medical whatevers to become Spartans, basically. And yeah, you can see quite a few of them being wheeled off. And we know Osman ends up as, you know, like the, the director of Oni. But where do the other ones end up? Did they have someone who looked after them like that? Are they trio-like war heroes? Are they, Where are they? Like, I want to see them and no one... I want to know about all of the Spartans, basically. Yes, I wouldn't. I wouldn't complain if we just got a roster of all of them, and this is what happened to them. That would be amazing. I don't know. What do you want to see? Well, I do think that I'm interested in what kind of really small scale stories can be told, and I love the idea of the aftermath of a glassing of a planet, which was dealt with in Hunt the Truth a little bit. And there's this very disturbing, relatively new piece of canon that is that people uh, large corporations go out and mine the glass from where the covenant basically lasered the heck out of planets and they dig up this material which is glass and which is also like human remains and they sell it and it's used as you know a building material and it's so creepy but halo 5 did a little bit of like this is a mining company and these people just are you know in in the, the sort of really dark way to look at it is they're profiting off of these disasters and I think that would be a good uh, region in which to tell a very ecological story like maybe a planet has been uh, certain areas have been glassed and the people are still living there they're just living around these huge like wrecked sections now and what's it like to live in the aftermath of something like that um, I would be interested in that I also all my obvious answers are like, I want a noble team and uh, ensemble story because I love noble team so much. Or oh, I love uh, that so much. I, I just like, they're, they're so dead, but you could tell another story about them. <laughs> <laughs> you could if you're not constrained by, you know, always moving forward in the timeline. Or something about Osman would be fantastic. Um, more about Halsey. We got some more about Halsey and her hat I'm <laughs> always like, here for Halsey more of like what we got in the fall of reach uh animated series but that's all oh, like man, yeah that's what I would want to see I don't know if those are interesting or just like oh Megan's talking about Halsey again <laughs> I like if if there was a Halsey comic I would be so happy I would I would buy the entire thing just for Halsey I'm not gonna lie she's my favorite easily or I would like to see something about because it was um, Contact Harvest. Is that what it was called? The one that about was, uh, Harvest one... being destroyed? The book? Yeah. Yeah, I really like the AIs in that and the relationship between them. And so I'd like to see a comic based around AIs would be pretty cool as well. Because they kind of, you know, they got a short life, but they do the best they can. And they are often really interesting characters. Like, I would think it was Mac. Was it Mac? And Sif were the two AIs in Contact Harvest. And I fell in love with both of them so much during that novel and then there's oh i forgot his name what's the ai from forward unto dawn oh from forward unto dawn roland? i was thinking yeah well roland's the one on the infinity oh the, that's what i was trying to go for yeah, yeah the infinity <laughs> yep. yeah roland's really cool like in halo 5 he gets such an interesting personality i he love does. roland yeah <laughs> i um i don't know if you've read saint's testimony no i keep meaning to but i haven't yet 
it's I got it when it was like 99 cents and it's about an AI it's entirely from an AI perspective and it's really good and it's written by Frank O'Connor who also has a story who you know is, is instrumental in Halo but also has a, a byline in a story in this anthology I don't I would be very surprised if the same character from Saint's Testimony was involved because that was such a very self-contained story but I'm curious to see if he does anything with that, with AI in particular. Yeah, Halo's got such so much potential when it comes to AI characters, and I just want to see them use it more. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Uh, you should definitely read Saint's Testimony. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up this week. I think. Um, did you read Escalation first? So I ask because I have not. There um, are I kind of got put issues. off by the art. Okay, so tell me, like, why did you, did you not like the art in general? Um, I have a, well, not a friend, I followed someone on Tumblr who was really into Halo for a while, and they were reading Halo Escalation, they'd post, like, little, like, screen caps of, like, the really bad art in some panels, and I kind of looked at it, I was like, wow, that looks kind of painful, and then I just never really got the drive to pick it up and actually read it i think because star wars comics kind of overwhelmed me a little bit and i do intend on going through and reading all the halo comics at some point because i want to because escalation's got like sarah palmer in it doesn't it it does yeah yeah and she's amazing so i do want to read it for her i read the issues that had halsey in them nothing else (laughs) so that's i didn't even realize halsey was in it i'm totally reading it now she is yeah well her like the culmination of her fight with sarah palmer is in escalation Oh, that sounds awesome. It's uh, it's kind of a strange choice that that was done outside a game, I thought. But it's in there, yeah. I found it really weird, like, because in Halo 4, you can you see Halsey get taken by the Covenant. By yeah, Jewel, by Jewel I don't Madama. I his name. Yeah, Madama. Um, you see that happen in there, and so you know what happens. And then Halo 5 starts off with everyone having found her and then saving her, and you're just like... If you haven't read the stuff in between, you're just like, whoa, what what happened there? Like, this is very sudden. Yeah. She's like, oh, Jewel's back. Um, I, because uh, I read, I read Escalation. I played Spartan Ops. So, like, I knew what was going on. I kind of wish we got more about it. Because, like, Halsey is so cool in Spartan Ops. She, she goes with the aliens. She gets her arm chopped off. And she's just like, all right, here I am. I'm going to turn this to my advantage somehow. And I love her so much. But I yes. also love that she is also now a character with a disability in a main franchise, and she's just such a cool character. I'm like, the more, the more I think about her, the more I love her. Even if she's an awful person, like I still just love her so much. She is though, and that's yeah. But that's that's hard to say because I'm like, she's so smart. She did such cool things, and also she kidnapped children. It's but then she did fine. save, you know, the entirety of humanity by doing that. Though that wasn't entirely her plan at the time. That still ended up happening. (laughs) And that's the discussion. And that's the discussion that Halo books have, you know, and some fall more on one side and some fall more on the other side. Yeah. And some people, some people that write those books just really hate Halsey. (laughs) Certain people have Spartans punch Halsey in the face. Yeah. Which might have been slightly overkill. Certain people compare her to Hitler as well. Yeah. Certain people have many opinions, and the entire <laughs> franchise does not necessarily reflect them. Yeah. yeah. Those books were... people also have very strong opinions about Star Wars, too. Yeah. The... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking about Karen Travis. Um, yeah. Those books were really good, but she really hates Halsey. Yeah, I really, like, I'm so torn because I kind of have a similar thing with the Republic Commando is that she writes really well and her ensemble casts are always so well done. But she has such strong opinions on some things and it comes through really strong in every single character. Like, even Halsey is really self-hating in the Kilo 5 trilogy because of her opinions. But then in everything else, Halsey's just like, what ifs? I did it. So what? Kind of thing. Um, Like, she's got reflection as well. She does realize that she's done bad things, but she's less self-loathing than she is in those books i think and republic commando that series kind of did the same thing with jedi a little bit so i love karen travis's writing but i do disagree with her very vehemently on some things yeah i think i'm on exactly the same page as you you just need to know (laughs) know what you're getting into when you read her books but read her books (laughs) 
Yeah, they have really good books. They are. Um, so I wanted to close out with um, a question, unless there's anything else that you wanted to add about that, um, which is if you were going to recommend someone to start with Halo comics particularly, this would be easier for me if I said books, but we're talking about comics today. Um, <laughs> if you were to recommend someone to start with comics, someone who's either played the game or hasn't, I guess, what would you recommend that they read first? That's a good question because I haven't read a lot of the comics, but I would say the first Halo graphic novel would probably be relatively good. Okay, yeah, because it's a variety. It'll give you a lot of things from around the different parts of that universe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So even if there's not, like, because if, I don't know, even if you don't like one of the stories, you might like the others. Yeah, I think, so my recommendation is the Fall of Reach comic, which came out several years ago. I don't know Ooh, that's how a good one. years ago. Um, and I recommend it because it's it's decent. You know, it's built on that same Eric Nyland story that all the other interpretations of Fall of Reach are on. It's it's the the same as the novel, basically. Um, and it's the very beginning of the Spartan program. Like, if you were going to tell Master Chief's story in chronological order, you would start with the Fall of Reach comic. Um, so that would be my recommendation. But what that does do is toss you right into the middle of the sort of halo continuity weirdness which is that there are three things called fall of reach now and they're all basically the same story and not actually about the fall of reach and slightly different from one another yeah yeah when it comes to reach like you really kind of gotta not be focused on one story happening because there, there are different interpretations and they're all a little bit different Especially if then you play Reach and you're just like, how does this fit into everything else? Yeah, and you, then it really gets into like, this doesn't really make sense. But that's okay. It's a good, it's a fun story. And that's where I would recommend that someone start. Yeah, I think that's a good one as well, yeah. Because you, yeah, getting introduced to Spartans in that way and learning about their history is always a good idea. Because otherwise you're just playing Halo and you're like, Master Chief's just a beast. But then you learn about the Spartan program and what happens there, and you're like, he's a beast, but he has such a bad history. I'm so sorry for him. Yeah, and you learn about the, the Spartans' friendships and, like, what they went through, and it's, it's all the background. Oh, man, and the other Spartans are so good. Like, the Spartans are just my favorite. Spartans and AIs and Halsey. Basically, everything Halsey does is just, I love it. <laughs> everything Halsey creates. Miranda, everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <That's>... exactly <laughs> <laughs> i mean i agree so <laughs> all right so we're about at an hour anything else i can't think of anything okay so i'm glad we had our good talk about our uh child kidnapping super scientist fave because <laughs> <laughs> we should always do that um, so saf where can people find you on the internet well, people can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. I can also be found at my own blog, com, and I also podcast at Making Star Wars Now This Podcasting, Far Far Away Radio's Rogue Podron, and then here. Oh wait, and also on Toshi Station, I also do Of Dice and Droids, which is a monthly RPG podcast. Cool, cool. Um, so I am at Blog Full of Words on Twitter, I can be found at Den of Geek at delraystarwars.tumblr.com and Facebook at blog full of words but mostly mostly Twitter um, you can find Western Reaches under the Tashi Station Network I don't believe we have our own feed set up yet but we will it's soon. soon yes we have our beautiful artwork now and we have social media coming soon as well yes thank you shout out to Canadian fanboy slash Andy on Twitter for the artwork because it is amazing it's very cool and shout out to Tashi Station for hosting. And yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. And don't forget to check the Western Reaches. Bye. Bye. Alert. I'm detecting covenant movement.